Hello, everyone. I'm Mari Forth. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our feed. Please go to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays as well as helping to keep the program going. If you've already subscribed, thank you. It makes a big difference. Murray, before we get to today's property, there's big true crime news that broke while we were on our hiatus. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. In the early hours of November the 13th, 2022, four University of Idaho students were killed. They were Ethan Chapin, 20, Kaylee Goncalves, 21, Zana Canodal, 20, and Madison Mogan, 21. On December the 30th, Pennsylvania State Police and FBI SWAT took a suspect into custody. He is Brian Koberger, 28. Court documents show that he was linked to the crime scene through DNA evidence on a knife sheath. He has a public defender. He agreed to extradition and was brought to Lata County Jail on January the 4th, where he's being held without bail. There's an excellent episode of um, that chapter on YouTube where Mike breaks down the story so far. And he dropped that two weeks before the arrest, so I'm sure he'll uh, do an update. So if you need a really good 30-minute catch-up on the case up until the arrest, uh, we will link that in the show notes. So, Murray, there's a lot of true crime interest uh, in the case on Twitter Mm -hmm. and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we're interested, of course. But I just want to sort of bring up a slightly off-putting note that I'm feeling from some of the co- some commentators, not all, mm. uh, where they're saying, where's the evidence? Why, where, why was he arrested? Well, there's no evidence. You can't arrest him. There's no evidence. It's like prove to me that you have the right person. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not in law enforcement, Mary. <laughs> so no. I do not expect to be kept up to date on evidence in an ongoing investigation. So not our listeners, but pass on to other people, mm. you know, Curious, use your beautiful brain. Obviously, don't take everything as read. Do do more reading. It's not research, mm-hmm. my friends. It's reading. Do more reading, and also have patience because I'm sure that every minute of the trial uh, will be covered. Yeah. I mean, having said that, of course, we love amateur sleuths with real skills and knowledge. Uh, thinking of the Bethune family who were instrumental in finding uh, Gabby Petito's van. But Murray, have you been following this case? Yes, I have. I mean, everybody has it it, because it was just real shocking, you know, um, to have four students just what feels like were like randomly murdered and just having no clues was very, very scary. And then it's like, oh, we found a guy, you know, so that that too. I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, I'm like, I'm glad they found him. And I was wondering, too, I was like, okay, well, what happened? What led to it? So um, there's actually a really good episode of Last Podcast on the Left, their side stories episode that just dropped this week. Um, Henry and Ben talk about a little bit more background on uh, about Brian Koberger. Uh, they actually even had a listener who went to school with him write in about him, It'll give a little bit more background. And it is very um, disturbing uh, from what they say, it seems like Brian Koberger, who was also a criminology, he was pursuing um, yes, a PhD yes. in criminology mm-hmm. uh, from uh, allegedly he may have been trying to be like the next BTK like style. Like he thought he was a 
going to be a criminal mastermind. But again, we don't know. Like Sarah said, there's still a lot of information that um, is being withheld due to you know the trial process. So I'm pretty sure it'll come out. But um, if you want a little bit more, definitely go check out that last podcast on the left episode as well. Yeah, excellent. We, we'll link that too. So Mari, what did we watch this week? Let's open today's file. We watched Death in the Dorms, a six-episode series from ABC News Studio on Hulu. So uh, we do not have a guest this week. It's just us. Yay. Happy Happy New Year. Happy 40th. Yes. This is episode. (laughs) Thanks everybody for listening all this all this time. Uh, I guess I guess our podcast is now officially middle-aged. Not quite. Yes. Which is fine. (laughs) We're we're good. We we age like fine wine, I I feel. Absolutely. Um, Delicious. So I'm so I'm glad it's just us. And of course, we'll have more wonderful guests uh, this season. If you have any suggestions on um, any any shows you want us to cover, any movies you want to uh, want us to cover, of course, we'll give you our plugs, and you can send it there. If you uh, have any special guests you want us to ask and reach yes. out to, <laughs> we'll take those recommendations as well. But other than that, let's get to the crime. So this series has six self-contained episodes telling the stories of college students who were killed at the very start of their adult lives. Andy Delvesco was killed and burnt in a fire by a stranger. Christian Aguilar was stalked and murdered in a jealous rage by his partner's ex-boyfriend. Yardley Love was beaten to death by her ex-boyfriend. Michael Dang was killed in a fraternity hazing event by over 30 other young men. Samantha Josephson got into a car, mistaking it for her Uber and was killed by the driver. And finally, Katie Autry was raped and burnt by a stranger and later succumbed to her injuries. In all cases, a culprit was quickly found in all but one. There was a conviction. So let's talk about how well the series does in telling these stories. Yes, it's quite a lot when you when you hear it in a list. Yeah, Um, it is. I wouldn't recommend watching them one after the other after the other, I don't think. Yes, because that's what I did. And it was it was a lot. I, I, mm-hmm. I did take a break after like the first three episodes and then got back to it. You know, nobody was forcing me to watch. We watch whatever we want to watch on here. And then we talk about whatever we want to watch, especially when it comes to series. But the series was good enough to hold my attention through all of the episodes. But I definitely agree. It's one of those things where it's very heavy. You know, this is one of... Um, for us, you know, we don't dabble. We dabble in murder, but not too, too much. But these episodes, it is it is your your typical ID discovery style series where it's an overarching theme in the title. And then each each episode is a standalone and the the murder is tied into the title. So, uh, Sarah, what did what did what were your first thoughts or overarching thoughts of the series? Well, just to spoil my magnifying glasses, this is an excellent, excellent series. So ABC Mm -hmm. News Studios has done a really, a very good job. Each episode kind of unfolds the same way. We start with the victim, which I absolutely love. We do not Mm -hmm. start with the crime. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's the little sizzle reel, which I hate. I think, you know, I know it's industry standard. (laughs) It's like, I'm just about to watch it. I'm already, I already pushed play. It's okay. (laughs) But, you know, I understand that that, that, that requirement. So we mm-hmm. straight away we are focusing on the victim. And so just to run down, a typical episode will start with the victim's mother, sister, father, 
uh, in mm-hmm. one case, the mother is is too distraught to speak even mm-hmm. all this time later and uh, has uh, their attorney speak for them. So the, the, the cases range from 2002 to 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get to know the victim, their name, what they were like. There'll be a sister, there'll be a friend, there'll be photographs. And then really interesting introduction of a student journalist. Yeah, always. <laughs> always. So this I really liked, like the second mm-hmm. time it happened, I thought, oh, and the third time it happened, I thought, oh. So they find editors or journalists that were working on the student newspaper at the time. This gives you this this double idea. It's they were young students themselves. And mm-hmm. now because in some cases it's 10 uh, or even 20 years later, they are now established journalists. So you, they have. we love hearing from journalists generally, but yep. particularly from someone who could take the flavour of the place at the time. Then there's an introduction of the police, really nice processy because the cases, unfortunately, are very simple. There's pretty much a straight line from the event to the perpetrator and the perpetrators are all captured within, like it seems like, days or indeed a couple of mm-hmm. weeks in one case. But the police very much are running down the process, which I really like. We went here, we spoke to this person, then we found Mm -hmm. this, then we tested it for this. And because I suppose there's no, don't look for a twist or a turn, you'll Mm -hmm. know who the the killer is immediately because they say, and she went out with her boyfriend, blah, and you go, okay, killer. So Mm -hmm. it's not trying to trick you or fool you. It's taking you through the process of of what it's like for the people actually in the case. And then they finished with the conviction in all cases uh, except the last um, episode. I really like this series. And they mm-hmm. had 911 calls and they had mm-hmm. crime scene photographs and they had reenactments. But for some reason, it worked really well. Mari, what was your overall thought? I, I agree. I agree. I think like with those like ID discovery series, you know, your Southern Fried Homicide, your Deadly Women's, you know, there it's because you have so many on on that network, right? It comes down to, do you like how that story is being told? That's why you watch those series. Like, that's why for me, like, uh, I love People Investigates on ID Discovery. I, we, we, we did A Crime to Remember. I love A Crime to Remember because I love how they unfold the cases. And this is one of those, like, uh, you'll, you'll either immediately love how the story is being told or you won't just depending on on what your your flavor is like how do you like your um <laughs> your true crime stories to be told you know mm-hmm. uh, i love that the the reenactments here are uh, whenever a reenactment is like a non-talking reenactment i like those like i don't like the reenactments where they're like it's like a scene <laughs> you know what i'm saying where they're like they're showing like people fighting and you can hear them talking and stuff like that always seems kind of cheesy to me so this is these reenactments are very much of those like artistic shots shadowy figures like you know what i'm saying but in between those um reenactments we are getting real police photos like of the crime scene and they'll they'll tell you when it's a police photo and i like we did get a few like unprompted uh crime scene shots but not many and when they explain the victim's the victim's injuries they use the um like the coroner sketches if if you've been watching these shows you know exactly what it is like the the front and the back of the body the markings of you know either the stab wounds or whatever it is 
I really appreciate that. Of, of course, as somebody with a science background, I, I like when they go into what actually was um, what happened to the victim, what, what caused their deaths, you know, and how just so that they can tie it back to when they catch the murderer and stuff like that. So it it really was. And it, and it felt like it's so funny because if you look at the poster for it, like death in the dorms, again, it, it reminds me of, you know, it it, it reminds me of the cheesy ID Discovery stuff, you know, because I, and I say that as somebody who loves ID Discovery series, I do, I love them, but some of them are just so cheesy and it's just a different way to look at wives with knives, you know, it's like a different way to look at the same cases. If it rhymes, we cover it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And, but I feel like that, that package of, of that doesn't do it justice because I feel like when you actually watch the episodes, it's very like Dateline. If you like Dateline, right? Um, to, uh, am, am I wrong there? Like a no, no, I was thinking exactly that. I mean, it's like yeah. Dateline, but without the narration. So we don't yes. have our lean king, Keith Morrison. But I was really impressed with how well we were carried through the story. Mm-hmm. Generally, the stories are told chronologically, but if they have to flip back in time because something was discovered or something changed, I felt really situated where I was in time as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think about the first episode really a lot, uh, which was probably, I think it might have been my favorite episode. I think Yeah, it, I, they, led, they led really strongly with this first episode, I think. Yes, yes. Um, talking about Andy Del Vesco, that's our victim at, at UCLA. And maybe because uh, the, the, the crime itself, well, it was a mystery. Uh, uh, that's another thing. I'm sorry, I, I'm bouncing back and forth. But a lot of these, these episodes, I did not know the crimes. I didn't, I, actually for all of them, I didn't know the crimes. So I was along for the ride. Like Sarah said, they they do a good job of taking you along the with the ride. So, but this first episode, Andy Delvesco, there's a fire in her her. It's not it's not necessarily a dormitory, but it's like off campus housing for the students for her um her uh, sorority, and there's a fire, and all of the sorority members come out. They put out the fire. She's the only one unaccounted for, and unfortunately, they find her body in her room because that's where the fire originated from. And, you know, that's where it starts at. But then you go back and you find out that her, like the, her neighbor who lived above her heard noises that night and called the police mm-hmm. and the police came and did nothing. Like mm-hmm. that unfolding of that case was just, oh, it was just, it was, it was so frustrating and sad because basically the police came and looked around. They didn't knock on any doors or anything, even though the, the neighbor had said she heard screaming coming from Andy's room. They didn't even knock on the door and come to find out the killer was basically crouching inside waiting for the police to leave. And it's just before the fire was even set. And it's just so frustrating. Sarah, any a few points on episode one before like you just you know, move on a little bit? I think, look, as I say, a really strong start. This was, uh, you know, a five magnifying glass episode for me. They didn't put a foot wrong. Once I realised that it was really good, I was sort of almost waiting to say, what can I knock? What can I knock some points off for? But I thought it was pretty faultless. I mean, there's a lot of blonde sorority girls talking to us. It's fine. She was a sorority girl. They're people too. I felt the treatment of the family was very respectful. I also didn't know any of these cases, so it was very interesting to really delve quite deeply into Andy Del Vesco's life and the people that she affected. And 
what was interesting to me as I realised these these sort of fairly straightforward cases, other than this one where the police were called and went away, the police are actually fairly good at their jobs, surprisingly. Right, <laughs> right. Maybe this was 10 years ago. Maybe things have changed. But I also, they gave us the beginning of another theme, which is what the friends and family have done after the death. So there are various foundations and campaigns that have been, that have arisen from, and indeed laws that have arisen from these deaths. One thing that really struck me, and they did this beautifully, and I had to just just send you crying face emojis, was that Andy had a little dog, Shea Panda, and Shea Panda survived the fire but was very unwell injured, of course. Andy's mother, Leslie, wanted to see her daughter. Now, we saw that's when I realised that they had shown us quite a brief flash of the body in the crime scene. It's unexpected, but it wasn't too horrifying. It's like you just got an impression of it and it was in black and white. You thought, oh, okay. I wondered why they'd shown us that. But then Leslie says that she wanted to see her daughter to say goodbye. And we are thinking... Uh, no, please don't, please don't. And she goes to the vet hospital to see Shea Panda, who's still alive at that point. And the vet says, you know, time's up for Shea. Uh, can you let her go? And it was this fantastic, heartbreaking moment of Leslie saying goodbye to her daughter through her daughter's dog and they held the dog as the dog uh, went to sleep and went, as she says, went to kiss Andy because they couldn't. And she realised then that she, what her daughter must look like and therefore that she wouldn't see her. How did this strike you? It wasn't at all, I didn't feel it was sentimental or deliberately over-emotional. What about you, Murray? I agree. I thought it was great storytelling and a sense of like, this is what they did with this this show. It's like they talked to, like you said, they talked to most of the family members. So not only are you, are you giving us the victim's humanity, which we always ask for on, you know, on this podcast and this rewatch, because, you know, as people who, who consume true crime, we, we always say we want to do it ethically and ethically is, you know, wanting to pay homage to the victims and not just treat them as another body, as another number that were, you know, these were people's lives that were taken, you know, and, you know, you want to be, you want to show deference to that. And I think this, this series does a great job of that, you, you know, seeing that pain and seeing that hurt, it, it's, it doesn't feel like it's exploitive. It feels like it's cathartic in a way for, for the, the family members, because Ultimately, from basically every family member after the end of it, they say they want this not to happen to anybody else. You know what I'm saying? Like they want no another family not to have to go through this. And I, I do think that media like this helps in like protection and prevention and all of that. So the sliding door to hurt this is, this is not victim blaming. This was this was mm-hmm. how that that sort of apartment block operated. They all had their doors unlocked because they were mm-hmm. in and out of each other's rooms at all times. So. It's Leslie saying we want to to trust, but but please don't. Exactly. Leslie also says tre- treasure the moments that we do have with each other. And normally I'm a bit, you know, hardened, hard-hearted about that kind of stuff, but that mm-hmm. really got me. I thought, yes, Leslie, you're absolutely right. I did send you a note, uh, mm-hmm. which was stay stupid, criminals. <laughs> please. Yeah, <I laughs> please, please stay stupid. The awful man who 
did this crime, kept the bloody blanket, his bloody tank top, and the knife that he killed Andy with in a trash bag in his cupboard. So thank thank you for that. Because as mm-hmm. soon as the police got their uh, search warrant, it was like, oh, okay, here's, here's everything. Thank you very much. Yeah. And he was another, he was a student at Fresno State, if I remember correctly. And he was not, he, he had no criminal history either. And right. Well, well, as we, I mean, as we find out with, in one of the other cases, there were uh, violent outbursts that had never been spoken to, mm. spoken of to the police to campus security, to, yeah. uh, in that case, the young man's coach. So if we, when we get on to episode three, Yardley Love, that young man did have violent history, but it wasn't recorded because, you know, it, nobody said anything. Speak up, everybody. Speak up, yeah, please. It, mm. Exactly. So it was just, it was just very unfortunate. Uh, very good police work though on on this case because they were able to connect her murder to like a burglary that happened across the street and well, that's what broke the crime yes mm-hmm. sonos speakers were stolen from across mm-hmm. from a party they the police realized that in order to use your sonos speakers you have to register them mm-hmm. they went to sonos and they said tell us if anyone registers mm-hmm. these speakers uh, and lo and behold, the perpetrator's roommate uh, mm-hmm. fired them up one day and they they had them. I mean, fascinating. It, and it all, and it, it, it's the first domino that leads to catching Andy's killer. And it's yes, yes. very fascinating. Yeah. So, I, I mean, episode one does a very great job of getting this series like up and going and, and rolling. We definitely said we want to talk about one and two very much. So I thought if Andy's if Andy's story got the story going, I think Christian Aguilar's story really gave you a sense of community in the storytelling. And it it brings it back to how these were students that were killed, you know, from universities and Christian Aguilar's story was is very sad um, because he was a freshman going to University of Florida and he was he was killed basically like not too long after arriving on campus. And when they speak to the editor, uh, the former editor of the uh, alligator, uh, Julia Glum, she talks about how the, the tragedy was nobody really got to know him. Because we di- they didn't get the chance, and even though people didn't get a- get to know him, the University of Florida, one of my alma maters, actually, they still rallied around him when he was at first he was just thought to be missing. They actually University of Florida actually gave him a post hummus bio biomedical engineering degree, so he like officially was a Gator. Like they embraced his family. His Carlos Carlos his father was very shaken up, very on the scene as the moment his son went, goes missing and the sense of community that the University of Florida um, creates in this episode and what we're and what we're we gathered from this episode was really what I think showed us probably why this this series was created you know to show like stuff can happen on the these campuses and it's when things like terrible things like this happen in the campus, it kind of brings the community together. What do you think, Sarah? This was very powerful. I think mm-hmm. 
Not that, you know, one life is more important than another, but it was very interesting that in episode two we have a male victim. Mm-hmm. We think of, you know, campus killings and dorm killings as as young women being killed and let's face it, the majority of it is oh, young women. Mm-hmm. But here we have Christian. We get to hear of his life, um, first-generation American, mm-hmm. the pride of his father and his brother as they speak of him is it's really heartwarming. So Carlos, his father, is really the centre of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, he immediately goes to Florida to the, the place where his son was and he begins to search for him immediately overnight because Carlos's girlfriend and mm-hmm. the killer are the ones that say, oh, he's missing, oh, we haven't seen him. She had nothing to do with it. Sorry, it's, I, I lumped them together, but mm-hmm. here is what we often see, which is, the killer involving themselves in the search for yeah. uh, the the uh, missing person, or indeed at the crime scene, he is out there alone searching, and overnight, and uh, where where his son was last seen, he gives a very shaky interview on uh, radio, and the next morning, hundreds of people turn up to help, mm-hmm. and then it becomes, as you say, this incredible coming together of the community. Julia Glum, the editor, talks about students would get up, go to their class, go and search, go home, go to sleep, get up and do it again. So Mm -hmm. every moment that they had that wasn't studying or sleeping, they were out there. And it was an incredible bringing together of the community. It was just such a sad story. Yeah. Yeah, a very, very sad story and very interesting. I love how they had the uh, student body president there as well, Sabine Justilian. Um, She was talking about how she shared a similar background to Christian. She also was from South Florida. She was the uh, first generation and how uh, it personally affected her at the time and just again, showing how you can feel for somebody and help somebody that you don't know. And Christian's background, it, it's one of those, those things where like he was, he was one of the first in his family to go to college. And it, that was, that's just the sadness about it. And for him to eventually be murdered by a, somebody he considered a friend. So if, if you're looking for like a quote unquote twist, this might be the only episode where it's kind of a twist because we are introduced to the um, uh, Pedro Bravo and Erica Freeman. Erica is Christian's girlfriend. Pedro is his friend from middle school. Uh, we are introduced to him, that both of them, when the crime happens. And then, you know, they, they do some more investigation. And then it comes back around that it was, it was indeed Pedro who murdered Christian so that he could get back with Erica. It's, it's, a very, it's a very sad story because they all grew up in South Florida together. They went to like middle school together. Pedro and Christian were friends. Pedro and Erica actually dated for most of high school, like from sophomore year of high school to to senior year of high school. And Erica actually testified that even that last year that they were together, she was actually very afraid of Pedro. Like she, she knew that their relationship had grown toxic and she wanted to end the relationship. But every time that she went to end the relationship, he would threaten his life, his own life. He, it was a lot of um, emotional manipulation going on, which is 
sad, you know, um, and something that happens to a lot of, of people in relationships uh, like that. And because of that, she decided to stay with him until they went off to college. So Christian, going back to our victim, got a, 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 a he went to University of Florida. I want to say he got a scholarship, but I'm not sure. I, I'm sorry if I am misremembering that. He went to University of Florida. Erica went to Santa Fe Community College that was right near University of Florida. Um, Pedro, actually, I know for a fact, Pedro got a scholarship he to got the full University ride, of, they said, a yes. full ride to University of Miami. So University of Miami is where they is where they're from. Uh, University of Florida and Santa Fe College is in Gainesville, Florida. That's five hours away. And so when Erica and Christian went off to Gainesville, uh, that's when um, after Erica had broken up with Pedro, her that's when her and Christian finally were like, well, we're single now. And they finally had just started dating. They were only dating maybe a few weeks or months before Christian was killed. And uh, Erica testifies that she actually didn't tell Pedro that they were that they were dating um, because she she was uh, she just thought that he was in a bad place. She she this she never said that she thought he could he would murder um, Christian or that he was violent. He made her think that he was just very suicidal and very fragile. And while Erica and Christian are in their relationship, exploring their relationship, Pedro is back home in Miami stewing uh writing um you know love letters to erica thinking she's going to get her back like uh he dropped out of the university of miami a full ride scholarship he dropped out to then go enroll at santa fe community college and i think he exactly he and erica says in the in the um in the series he just popped up like they didn't even know he was coming up there he, he he just popped up and and when he did pop up he said okay i'm going to santa fe college now guys i need your help he he reached out to both of them saying that he was like depressed and he needed their help and and you know um he basically lured them in with a false sense of sympathy and then he he um the night of christian's death he asked christian to come talk to him in his car he lured christian into his car he drugged him he gave, he gave them, he gave him um, like Gatorade that was laced with drugs and then he strangled him and then he disposed of his body. Erica was none the wiser of this. All Erica knew was that they were, they were going to go talk. So immediately she was calling them that night. He, nobody was responding when Pedro did pick up. Erica was like, well, where's Christian? And Pedro was like, oh, I just left him on the side of the road some, somewhere. And so that's when they went and they they reported Christian missing. missing. And that's why a big man search had happened um, so quickly because initially Pedro was just like, oh, we got into a fight and I just let him out of the car. And, and there's, there's hope that maybe he was still alive, but uh, they did some really good police work and Pedro started to reveal what actually happened yeah so pedro another stupid criminal uh he had <laughs> christian's backpack stuffed yeah. in his wardrobe inside another suitcase and he also had these journals uh with plans to get erica back and to kill christian so thank you for that pedro uh, mm. i wish you hadn't done it but having done it Thank you for keeping all that evidence where you could be charged. Now, both these cases, episode one and episode two, life without parole is the sentence mm-hmm. for these for these young, also young people. Pedro clearly had mental health issues. 
and needed help that nobody could recognize that he needed or could get him to have help yeah. with. I do not have sympathy for him, but mm-hmm. I can see that he he also, you know, was troubled. Reach out to help everybody and if other people around you need help, force them to have it, force them to have help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so Father Carlos says he wants to change hate into love and the family has made the Christian Aguilar Search and Rescue Foundation, which has dogs that can go out and search. And as mm-hmm. Carlos says, that's what he—that's his whole job now is going out with these dogs at no cost to the, to the families of the people being searched for. And he says we have had some successful searches and some unsuccessful searches. So Carlos has kept himself. It's very interesting. And we saw this with um, the man who's in Texas Equisearch. Remind me of his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Miller. Tim Miller. Mm-hmm. These, both of the men in this case, who choose to remain in that place of searching and often grief. Mm-hmm. And this the strength that that would take. And mm-hmm. when Carlos talks to us, he is... He's so warm. He's so strong. He's so proud. He's, he yeah. was a very impressive man. And I thought you decided to do something good from Christian's death, which is to have the Search and Rescue Foundation. And then when he said he actually works in it and goes out with the dogs, he has the dogs himself as well, I thought you're choosing to remain in this space Mm-hmm. Uh, no wonder you have to remind everybody to turn hate into love because it would mm-hmm. be easy to go down a bit of a a bit of a rabbit hole, which we feel others might do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So those are the first two episodes. Again, there's six in total. Um, Sarah, uh, if you want to highlight any of the other uh, episodes, maybe like spoiler free, what was your what was another episode that you found very fascinating or one that you didn't like? Yeah, look, I, I, I liked them all to the first two very much. I liked them all to a greater or lesser extent. I found the episode four, the Michael Deng episode, very mm. interesting because this is a very different case. This is yeah. um, Greek mm-hmm. life and the hazing of pledges. Mm-hmm. And through, through, through Michael's death, there are laws now which, which stop mm-hmm. young men primarily you know, hitting each other and and doing these terrible. Uh, help me out here. What, what what's going yeah. on here with this hazing of places? I just, I just yeah. don't get it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a very American thing, and they even highlight that in the documentary. As somebody who who's again uh, one of my my first alma mater, we are a uh, sorority and fraternities. All, most black sorority and fraternities originated on Howard's campus. So we are a very like sorority fraternity heavy university. And, you know, hazing, you, you, you hear stories. If you're not in the fraternity or the sorority, like they say in that episode, the Michael Dang episode, it's that cloak of secrecy that makes that sorority or fraternity, like that's what makes them special. But that also is what can become a danger to the people who pledge to it. So it's it's sororities and fraternities are big things over here in America. And, you know, this isn't the first type of hazing situation that we've had over here. There's been numerous instances and luckily a, a, a good many states have anti-hazing laws on the books. This was a this was a fascinating episode. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I won't I won't spoil it, but mm-hmm. with I see here 
37 defendants eventually. Yeah. Very processy, very processy with the the police there. Uh, I was taken through step by step. It was fascinating. I mean, so just tragic. And, and I mean, they're all tragic. But uh-huh. the stupidity of this exactly. tragedy was, I mean, it's 10 years ago and still Mary, uh, Michael's mother, cannot speak of uh Mm. Of it, and so uh, Douglas Ferberg, his their the family attorney, speaks on their behalf. But that to me was the other outstanding episode. What about you, Murray? I really liked. I hate using words like that, but you know, episode five, the Samantha Josephson episode, was very like, wow. You know, it's one of those uh, cautionary tales. Samantha got into a car that she thought was her Uber and, you know, did not survive uh, the situation. And uh, it's it's a very it's one of those episodes where it really makes you you it'll make you second guess your surroundings and and things around you. And I think her family and her her friends and that were very um Oh, they they touched me too, just like the the Aguilars, just like every family in this this series. But like that family, uh, because I think this was the most recent case. This was in 2019. Her case was in 2019, so it was harder. It was a little harder. It made me very sad because yeah. you could see these family. This family was still grieving, and and the fathers, four of them: mother, uh, mother Marcy um, Seymour, at Sydney is her sister and you mm-hmm. can see the family just reducing mm-hmm. there was but as you say it was 2019 so it's it very much a rule for them they trying to pass ride safety laws in new, in new jersey called sammy's law after mm-hmm. her and the foundation that they run uh, is called what's my name uh, mm-hmm. so that as you get into your ride or before you get into your ride you ask the driver What's my name, or who is the car for? Not exactly. is are you here for Sarah? I know that I, and this is just to say, I always look at the license plate number, but mm-hmm. then I'm not a twenty year old college student with a few drinks on a dark mm-hmm. street. I'm not passing any judgment. Yeah, exactly. So, it that one I would definitely say go watch that as as well. Sarah. How many magnifying glasses are you going to rate death in the dorms out of a possible five? That's a really good question. I'm going to give three of the episodes themselves, five magnifying glasses, episode Mm -hmm. one, episode two, and episode four. I think Mm -hmm. they were extremely good. Uh, And then I'm going to throw out a four and a three, a four and a couple of threes. So I don't know what that comes out to. So for the series. I'm going to give the series four stars. I was really Mm -hmm. impressed by this. And I have to say that this is Thursdays in January. Hulu are dropping an ABC News Studios true crime series every Thursday except the one that's about to come up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I believe we're going to cover at least one more of them. And this makes me very excited to see uh, how they deal with the, the next themed lot of standalone cases what about you yeah i i agree i think i want to give it i'll give it a four as well i was i was vacillating between four and 4.5 um but i i agree there was there were a lot of episodes that i i found 
more intriguing than others. But that's just like, that's what you get with these type of series. These type of series, again, you don't have to watch them all. <laughs> you know, you can just pick and choose which ones sound good to you. That's why they have that sizzle reel at the beginning. You watch that <laughs> sizzle reel and if you like it, you keep going. If not, you stop. I think my only uh, knock against this was, uh, like we said, there wasn't much diversity in the storytelling or or the victims. We did have two. We had two male victims in the sixth episode series. But I also felt like, uh, you know, I'm always going to think about this as a black woman. Not many cases, uh, uh, not many, no cases of, of black students who died. I, I can think of two that popped up into my head when I first heard this title. One was Alexis Crawford. A Clark Atlanta student who was murdered by her roommate and her roommate's boyfriend. And that happened in 2019. A very, very gripping case that as somebody who's in the HBCU community, a historically black college community, it rocked our community. And it's, it's very unfortunate that we don't hear about Alexis's case that often. And I also think about Jelani Day a uh, Illinois State University graduate student who um, was actually, he went missing and the police and the coroner's office uh, basically dragged his feet, their feet. His body was found a week or two after he went missing, but sat unidentified in the coroner's office for another three weeks before they found out um, that it was, that they did have Jelani. And by the time that they did do a autopsy, they could only say that he drowned, even though the circumstances surrounding his death seemed very mysterious, um, including them finding his car about like a mile away from his body, his clothes a mile away from his body. So because of how the case was investigated, the family has no justice. And I think the lack of media attention for Jelani is very telling again and Jelani was in a fraternity a historically black fraternity and it's one of the only reasons why I know about his case um so I I just feel like I I wish there was a little bit more representation because I think there's a lot of cases out out there that again you know this isn't just for entertainment consumption you know this is to shed light on these crimes to hope that we can either prevent them in the future and or to help solve the ones that are are still unsolved. You know what I'm saying? So it's just very unfair that a a lot of crimes that include like black and African-American or other marginalized people go highly under underreported, which means they normally go unresolved, you know? So um, that, that, that would be my only, again, me just nitpicking. uh, But I, I did enjoy the series. It, it's it's a very it's more than nitpicking I think because even I even I noticed the lack of a black victim and I thought surely uh, mm-hmm. we do see you know unfortunately we do see black people and they're the perpetrators and I thought mm, where's, where, <laughs> yeah I mean I know they did it but where's the when you take the series as a whole what's mm-hmm. the picture that's being being painted so it's not it's not just you keep banging Mm -hmm. that drum uh we'll link to some good resources on those two cases in the show notes yeah so four from both of us it's so we recommend it everybody yes we definitely do definitely go watch it and if you uh want to let us know how you feel let us know uh we also did get some feedback from a friend of the pod josh green 
of course, uh, the uh, out of context. Uh, <laughs> he, he runs RHAP out of context. Uh, he said that he actually followed that Christian Aguilar case as it was happening and that he did enjoy that episode. But the biggest thing for him that he saw that happened in a lot of these episodes was it was like, this place is so safe. You can walk home at night wherever you are. Nothing bad will happen because it's like, you know bad things happen everywhere, you know? So uh, I, I agree with Josh there. Thank you so much, Josh, for uh, sending in your comments because it, it's true. Like it, it's so unfortunate and we're nobody, we're not telling people to live your life scared, but it's true when they, when they, they like, Oh, an idyllic college town. Oh, they, we never thought it would happen here. And it, it's like, you know, it, it can happen anywhere. So, you know, just try and do the best you can stay safe. Uh, be aware Look of after your friends. Yes, all of that. Yeah. Mm, So let's move on to our recommendation. Sarah, what Mm -hmm. do you recommend to our listeners? Well, I mentioned it at the top, uh, a YouTube channel called That Chapter. We'll be linking the episode to the killing of the Idaho University students in the show notes. This is Mike, young Irishman, who gives us various cases in a very calm, interesting manner. Mm -hmm. He's curious. He's thoughtful. He's very well read. The episodes are about 30 minutes long, so just enough time to eat your sandwich for lunch and Mm -hmm. get an overview of the case. I'd been following the the killing of these Idaho University students, but I still appreciated his 30-minute sort of roundup step by step. I find him very calm, non-sensationalizing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't sensationalize is what I'm trying to say, but he's also us because he mm-hmm. feels and responds to the events. He's sad about the events. Um, you know mm-hmm. this YouTube channel as well, Murray. Would you recommend it? I do. Yes, I I definitely would. I think we talked about that chapter chapter on a previous episode. Mike does a great job in in just I, I feel like he he approaches every case with such deference and very thoughtful manner, very knowledgeable manner. And I I did watch this episode a few weeks ago and it was it was stunning because even even as somebody who I tried to keep up, you know, he he has a lot of stuff on there that I didn't know. And he includes like some body cam footage. He he puts everything in a very neat package that that makes it very easy to understand so shout out to him yeah the architecture of the house is what I actually got the most out of yes Mm -hmm. because in my head it's been a little bit and also because we don't because we have a ground floor and then a first floor and American (laughs) where we should have a ground floor Uh, but um, (laughs) and in fact Mike says the first floor the ground floor (laughs) but he he had uh, not only photographs of the house but he has a diagram and it, it just really shows you how the house is laid out and where everybody was sleeping because uh, let's not uh, forget, let's keep in our thoughts, the two other roommates who were there during the killings and are still alive, but they must be really going through it uh, as well as having suspicion cast upon them, of course, which is why I'm saying please everybody hold back your thoughts until we know what, uh, hold back your opinions until we know what's actually happened. So with Mike, you will get facts he does make he does make remarks but he will make sure to say that these are just his own remarks so yeah that chapter on youtube go and click subscribe and what about you murray what have you got to recommend today 
after watching a lot of those episodes, like I said, I probably shouldn't have done it to me. I, I decided to just recommend an OG true crime property. I survived. Uh, you can find it on Hulu. It, I mean, they replay it on FYI for some people, but the OG, I survived. If you haven't watched it, it's just uh, people telling their stories straight to camera and they survive their stories. So it's it's one of those, it's comforting to me to watch because at least I know that I'm looking at the person as they're telling me their their stories that they, at the very least, the light of the end of the tun- tunnel is that they're here telling their story in their own way. So I, I definitely, but it is one of those shows that makes you feel a little bit better in a sense that like, you know, something horrible did happen to these people, but they talk about their resilience and why they survived at the end and how it changes their life and stuff like that. So definitely uh, go check out I Survived if you haven't, if you've been living under a rock. (laughs) (laughs) At Crime Scene, we are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene R-H-A-P that's at Crime S-E-E-N R-H-A-P and you can also email us by sending emails to Crime Scene R-H-A-P at gmail.com We're on TikTok occasionally a uh, tiktok <laughs> <laughs> the clock is ticking for another tiktok but we will get there it's unusual uh we're on tiktok at crime.scene and on instagram and facebook now at crime scene podcast so you can find us anywhere really we love mm-hmm. messages uh from you all we love your comments your recommendations and yes please let us know if there are any guests that you would like us to pursue Yes. Uh, what have you got going on there, Sarah? And where can the people find you? The people can find me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. Uh, with the Traders US dropping on the 12th of January, you have time mm. to catch me over on Silent Podcasts with the recaps of The Traders UK. I recap that with Australian ninja warrior Sean Bryan. Uh, mm. Traders UK is over, but you can still watch it. And listen to our recaps, getting you ready for the 12th of January drop of the entire season of The Traitors US. Oh, wow. So on this podcast network, uh, RHAP, Rob, Sestanino and Puyazan Vakili are going to do a marathon uh, watching and recapping of all the episodes over a couple of days, the 12th Mm. and 13th of January. So get in amongst that if you want to. Otherwise, obviously, you can hear their podcasts afterwards. There'll also be a roundtable about the Traders US, and I am looking forward to being on that. Mm -hmm. What about you, Mari? This week, the Wrestling Room Hop Up podcast came back. So, of Woo! course, yeah, me and Matt Scott, every week we bring you the highlights in this the world of wrestling, of pro wrestling. And there was a doozy that happened. Our favorite wrestler came back. She debuted um, at New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom uh, under a new name new pseudonym new everything like we are excited so if you want to hear us talk about mercedes monet you can go and check us out at uh, on wrestling rehab by going to rob has a website.com slash wrestling feed and you know we we give you a handy dandy playlist so you don't even have to watch all of wrestling that me and matt do you just check out our playlist in the show notes and you can watch along with us Uh, Right now, that's it for me. I have a few other things in the pipeline, but I'll let you guys know when it comes down. (laughs) Yes. 
Next time on Crime Scene, we'll be covering the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker with returning guest Chappelle. You can watch it on Netflix and send us your comments and questions. Thanks to Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and Chelsea Lesser and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case, case closed. closed.